This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Everyone, thank you. Please sit down. I, I'm very honored to be here, and I am embarrassed. <laughs> uh, well, you know, that story goes back to my very young years, where I... Uh, was led to the Lord and realized I had something remarkable to share with the world. And uh, I, uh, I got beaten up for it by my best friend, my father, who objected to the fact that a Smethurst was talking about Jesus to people. And that wasn't cool because I grew up in an international sporting family, boxers, international, wrestlers, Soccer players, two brothers played on an international soccer team. Two of my cousins played uh, professional soccer in England. You know my nephew, Philip Smethurst, don't you? I led Phil to the Lord when he was four. And uh, God got a hold of his life from a very young age. And, uh, but uh, Phil's other uncle, Derek, who lives in Valrico, Florida, near Tampa, uh, he played for Chelsea, four seasons for Chelsea, and they won the Premier League in the United Kingdom four years in a row. Now, that's the family I grew up in, crazy international family, all unsaved. And I got the fright of my life when I found out that, looking back through the generations, it was easy to research that I was the first one saved in this family. And funnily enough, my wife was the first one saved in her family, and I want to tell you, I married into a mild version of a South African mafia. <laughs> and, it, and I'm encouraging you if you're the only one as far as you can recollect that's got saved in your family in its recent history and you're getting a lot of opposition it only takes one to start an avalanche that brings the, your entire family generations to come into the kingdom of God I used to pray a crazy prayer God I want my family to be saved. I can see myself sitting on the embankment of a junior school behind my folks' property where I grew up and saying, God, whatever it takes, I want this family saved. Even if you have to kill me to get their attention. That must have caused a bit, caused a bit of laughter in heaven because it was like the Lord said, well, we're not going to kill him. We're just going to let him beat, get beaten up. And, uh, well, four times my dad beat me up to stop me following Christ. One time I couldn't go to work at university for four days. So, it took a little bit of opposition. However, today I can conservatively say that probably 95, 96% of this much larger family, with more branches to it, the Smithers family is in God's kingdom. And I had actually very little to do with it in the last two generations. I said to some of my cousins, children's children, how did you get saved? Well, we had this Youth for Christ evangelist come to our school, school, state school in South Africa, Cape Town. And he shared his testimony, had a follow-up meeting. I went to the follow-up meeting. I didn't like what he said at the assembly meeting. And I came to the follow-up meeting, and I gave my life to Jesus. And I had nothing personally to do with that. So God rounds up our families. He's more concerned about your families getting saved than you are. You just stay with God. Pray for them. Because God's going after them. And I know that is bothering a lot of people here with you since the return of the Lord is imminently near with the way conditions are on this planet today that uh, you're wondering, is there time for your family to get saved? You hang on to that. God is not willing that they should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. You're locking into the center of God's will there. Now, you know, I want to compliment the, the worship team here this morning. <clears throat> They're ordinary people. They are not, I'm being very honest with you, the best worship team I've ever heard because they didn't try to put on a concert this morning. But I want to tell you they are the most anointed worship team I've ever worshipped with. They are talented. They are good-looking. <laughs> and that anointing Enabled them to usher in the presence of God here this morning. We're having fun in God's presence as a father does with his children. 
a lot of fun in heaven, a lot of fun in God's presence here. And it's not a, a frivolous fun. It's, it's a wholly dedicated fun. And I watched you greeting each other. That was beautiful. There was uh, like sparks of anointing uh, flowing between you, if I can, you can give you that picture. But when you guys, actually, I came in earlier on when they just had their little jam session where they were uh, having fun and, and getting the balance of sound and everything. And um, there was such a presence of God. You guys noticed that. I walked into it. That's why I love coming earlier. And when you come in, that presence is here because worship invokes the presence of God. Worship provides an atmosphere where God rules, because we offer him his throne. Praise, worship, and thanksgiving is fitting for the king. And we're offering the king his throne. When he sits on that throne, he exercises dominion, and great miracles take place. It created an atmosphere for miracles. I watched, I look around. Actually, I like to sit in the corner over there where I can see everybody. But I got invited to a higher seat here. Um, <laughs> and I looked around at people's faces. I could see ease. I watched when some of you walked in where there was stress. I don't know what you've been battling with as a result of the wind and the rain and, and the storm and, and, and tensions coming here. But when you walked in, started worshiping, I looked at the faces that were initially stressed. And I saw ease. Where dis-ease, not disease, dis-ease had faded and ease had come into place. You thought, oh, I'm relaxing. No, it was the presence of God that did that. That caused that inner miracle within you. Now, imagine what that anointing does to sicknesses, to illnesses. You didn't even need anyone to lay hands on you. Now, I, I sense, and I don't know the details, some people are carrying illnesses at the moment. Nothing ultimately severe, I don't think, but that is beginning to dissipate. You're going to feeling, get, be feeling better and better. You know what I suggest you do if you're under medical supervision? Go and see your doctor and say, listen, check me out and see what's happening to me. And he might be very surprised. He's probably be very cautious and conservative before he says anything. He won't blurt out, it's a miracle. But I've had calls from doctors with people I've ministered to like that. And the doctor said, I want to meet with you. And he'll take me to lunch. I'll make sure he pays. And, and then um, he'll say, I believe you prayed for my patient. Well, I want to tell you that something is happening, and I haven't told the patient yet, uh, but something that medicine and my prescribing and attention cannot achieve. He said, this is out of my hands. I said, you know why, doctor? You don't know it, but you are in partnership with God in the healing business. And he's doing something through you, but he did something over the top of it, supernaturally. And I said, have the courage to, give, to admit that God is involved. Actually, he was a Jewish doctor, and ultimately I befriended him and led him to Christ. <laughs> and what I said to him, sir, you're a Jew, and I have a relationship with the greatest Jew who ever lived. Because you know, Jesus wasn't a Christian. He was a Jew. <laughs> And with that statement, I'm able to lead a lot of Muslims to Jesus. Well, I could tell you lots of stories in the Middle East, flying in on airplanes um, into Beirut and other places, sitting next to a Muslim gentleman, and uh, ultimately get talking to him, prophesy to him, and then have a meal with his family and lead them to the Lord. <laughs> I might tell you that story a little later, how a remarkable healing got a huge number of Islamic families saved. But nevertheless... Let me just say that uh, some of you here are getting better and you've been concerned about your health for some time. It happened as a result of God's healing presence released during the worship. Nothing creates an atmosphere that, for the gifts of the Holy Spirit to operate like worship. And I want to compliment this worship team. You did what you should do this morning. You simply loved Jesus and you helped us to do the same. <laughs> And I'm so glad, with all your wonderful talents and abilities, you didn't try to put on a concert. And I mean, the words you sang. Some of those songs I didn't know. Did you guys write them? Because they were intelligent words. I mean, <laughs> some songs can't even be called worship today. You can't even sing them. There's no melody to get into. 
<laughs> I'm not going to get on that horse. But uh, <laughs> I love singing intelligent worship songs. I mean, Isaac Watts and Charles Wesley would love those songs. <laughs> if they're getting into heaven, those worship songs, you can guarantee that Charles Wesley and Isaac Watts and others and Martin Luther are jumping around and, and singing those songs. But listen... I want to say some things this morning, and it's probably going to take some of my sermon time, but it's what the Holy Spirit wants, and that's the most important thing, that there, there are people here this morning that God wants me to tell you something. Mike, man sitting over in the corner next to that lady in the, uh, the green top of the white sweater, Mike, I shook your hand this morning, and the Lord told me to tell you this, that there is something that you have been praying about for a long time. And look, I'm an accountant by profession, and I've got a mind for detail. And I would say to God, God, give me some more detail. He says, mind your own business. It's, it's got nothing to do with you. Uh, and Mike, you know what I'm referring to, that there's something you've been praying for for ages, and it hasn't come to pass. And you're thinking, um, I wonder if God's really in this. Is it going to happen? God says, I'm in it. But I've been waiting for people and circumstances, the structures to be in place so that the answer is going to be perfect, overflowing, and it's going to impact others, including those cynical, hard-hearted non-believers going to see this answer come through, and they're going to be amazed and want to know Christ. You're going to have a platform to share Christ with people when they say, how did that materialize? I think in the light of that, you don't have to pray anymore. Just give God thanks that the answer is coming through. Wow. Now... Let, let me say that that might have appealed to others here this morning. There might have been a quickening within you, a witness within you that says, oh, I wish he'd said that to me. Now, these gifts are multi-pronged because there might not be time to pick out everybody. God signified that this coming through to Mike. <clears throat> but um, take that for yourself. Take that for yourself that, that God spoke to you too. If you got that quickening within you. But don't only just take the privilege, take the commitment and the responsibility that goes with it because you've got to cooperate with God. Sometimes we don't cooperate with Him, we work against Him and we negate what God wants to do. Um, <clears throat> there is somebody here this morning <clears throat> who has been, I use this word loosely, controlled by others. Not manipulated, but you've grown up in an environment where people thought Maybe your parents, maybe those who supervised you, thought you were not competent. But you were. Maybe you were a little slower than others to grasp things, and they thought maybe you were disadvantaged. I use that word loosely as well. And they tend to mollycoddle you and make the decisions for you and refuse to let you follow through on your own decisions. And you've almost given up, well, my life's controlled by others. Why should I bother making my own decisions? God says to you, you are competent. You are sound-minded. You have a discipline in your life. You've grown in Christ in that context. And you don't have to have a spirit of intimidation, fear, uncertainty, because of the way that others have decided things for you. You've got a spirit of power, love, and a sound, disciplined mind. As Paul spoke that to young Timothy. But um, God says to you, those decisions that you're formulating now, because it's part of His will, the next few steps of your life into the fulfillment of your destiny, you've got to make those decisions. And you've got to be politely strong with the people who will come to you and say, listen, we don't think you're to do that. This is beyond you. You'll say, no, God has spoken to me. I am sound-minded enough to cope with this. I have my own life, and I am accountable to God ultimately. You will stand before God to give an account. <laughs> And I'm saying to you, I don't think God's going to be countenance saying, God, others controlled my life. God's giving you the opportunity to make your own decision now. And don't be bitter against those people because they meant you well. But you've got your own life to live with God. You make your own decisions. You stand by them and you grow. And I believe, I don't know who that person is. Sometimes I do know. It's like I see a little spotlight shining on people's faces. Ah, oh, that's the person. But whoever this is, embrace it. Take it easy, take it slowly, don't become outrageous, because then you'll alienate the people you need as friends. <clears throat> now, there is an older person here, and this might apply to a number of people, because I looked around at some gray heads, heads and white-haired heads and balding heads here. I think a lot of people this applies to. <clears throat> uh, you've been intimidated in the past. 
maybe by your children and grandchildren. Oh, dad, mum, grandpa, grandma, you know, that, that talent you've been exercising is not cool today. Why don't you just forget about it and be a normal person? <laughs> That's intimidation. Don't put up with that. Maybe they're jealous. <laughs> God's saying to you, it's time to get those talents off the shelves, unwrap them and use them in this next generation, and they probably be valid for attracting and mentoring people in these next two generations. You're going to have this as a ministry. They're going to say, wow, you've got that gift and talent. I mean, that's cool. Wow. Can we learn from you? You're going to have a ministry. Because I'm saying to you, the older people, you have not passed your use-by date. And even when you leave this planet and enter heaven, there's no use-by date. It goes on. You go, go on growing and learning. A huge activity in heaven. But now, those older folk, your uh, use-by date has not passed. Keep serving God. Use that talent and ability. And watch God create a platform for you to mentor even unsaved people and bring them to a faith in Christ. Because they're going to say, how have you got this? Um, where did you learn this? And you've got an opportunity to talk about your relationship with Jesus. No, don't backpedal. Because God brought them to you to hear that good news. Now, um, David, the man who helped me immensely yesterday, with the, that's right, you, sir. <laughs> God's saying to you that, and, and I recognize just a little inkling of what God's revealed to me. You've got an immense mind for detail. You're precise. And there was a man so willing to take instruction. I mean, that's the hallmark of a true disciple. A disciple is a learner. And when you think you know it all and you can't learn anymore, you've actually stopped being a disciple temporarily. But, sir, I watched your wife give you an instruction yesterday, and you said, yes, ma'am, and you went and did it. <laughs> and I know it was all in good humor. It was all in good humor. I know that because we had a little word about it afterwards. <laughs> but the Lord's saying to you, with your mind for detail, you, what you're doing now is the platform for much more you're going to be doing in the future. <clears throat> uh, you're going to be amazed at the opportunities God is going to use you to spring into, like the springboard is going to bounce you into other opportunities, and you're going to be amazed. Others will be amazed. Didn't think you had that in you. <laughs> well, I know what you'll say. I didn't think so either. But the gifts were there, and God awakened them to move you into. I mean, it's, you're going to move with high-profile people, the, the great high-tech people. I can, I'm just imagining a little bit here. Um, where they're going to say, man, we, we, you're a cool guy. And, and where did you get this ability and your precision? Because some of those high-tech people are scatterbrains. I mean, they just have, have uh, no disciplines for other areas of life. They're good with what they do. But you're an all-rounder. And you're going to be able to minister to people like that, uh, people who had never come to church. And they, I, I guarantee they're going to say to you, where did you get this stuff? Where did you learn this? And you're going to say, come to church with me. Well, you're going to have to put up with a lot of weird people coming in here. And uh, people will say, you, you guys are strange. Why are you talking in all these foreign languages? And, and <clears throat> I know I did that when I, I got saved in the Pentecostal church. I said, these people are clever. All they're, they're talking, all talking in foreign languages. I didn't know they were speaking in tongues from the Holy Spirit. But, David, I'd like you to keep in touch with me, sir. You know, my email address is on my news bulletin out there. And just let me know how this transpires, because I'm going to be praying for you. <laughs> well, um, I noticed over a couple of people, were a few people here up the front, these young men who were up the front worshipping. There were four of you. <clears throat> I actually came across to take a picture, hoping, perhaps that's a, a fallacy, that I would actually capture in my telephone what I saw printed over you. But, of course, these things are in the spirit. <clears throat> I saw a little word written over you guys, preparation. And whenever I see that, it's just like, boom. And it flashes up. Uh, perhaps it's a vision. I don't know. But it's something I get quite used to. And I know I've got to tell you about it. Get yourselves prepared for God's destiny for your life. <clears throat> in other words, dig a little bit deeper in your prayer life, in your Bible reading, than just the casual way you might look up. read my three chapters today. Pause and maybe start your Bible reading by saying, Lord, um, I'm making a commitment to obey whatever you challenged, challenged me this morning in my scripture reading. <laughs> That's dangerous praying. When you make a commitment before you've even read the text. <laughs> but dig a little deeper. 
in your Bible reading. Speak to me, God. I want to, I want to, I want to be challenged. I want to grow. And then in your prayer life, just don't pray generally, bless so-and-so, bless so-and-so. Get some needs that people have and pray for those needs. Dig deeper. Um, in your personal worship, um, in, in your, your daily devotional life, uh, give God thanks for things. Make it a, worship, a devotional time. Worshiping God, thanking Him. And then, I mean, you, we, we come to God in prayer, and mostly we're, we're giving God a shopping list. Lord, you know I need these things. We run through a bunch of prayers. I'd say if you had eight minutes to spend with God each day, now, we need more time than eight minutes, and God deserves more time than eight minutes. But I would say take five of those eight minutes, thanking, worshiping, and praising God, and then three minutes presenting your shopping list. You can ask for a lot of stuff in three minutes. Now, this is for everybody, not just these guys. Make your devotional time a devotional time. You will create an environment around you through the rest of the day where miracles happen. Because worship will invoke the presence of God for miracles and the gifts operating. Now, that's part of my sermon this morning. But you guys, get prepared for some things that God will show you. I suggest you write them down. Because there could be a little memory loss later on, and you say, oh, I forgot about that. God just wakes you up to it. Come on. I told you that a couple of years ago. Get ready for it. You're on the springboard. Okay. Now, there is a husband and wife here, and for the life of me, I don't know who you are. It, uh, I'm, I'm minding my own business. <clears throat> but this is so severe that God alerted me to it. <clears throat> You've been going well with God. You really have. You've been in agreement your family is at peace uh, as a result of your uh, uh, beautiful union in your marriage. But you've come up against something now that you're in total disagreement with. And the husband thinks the wife is wrong. The wife thinks the husband is wrong. And you're saying to each other, God will show you you're wrong and I'm right. <laughs> I can picture this happening because it's happened a number of times with my wife and myself. And this is what I've learned and this is what God is saying to you. You're both right. Simply because you have a different mindset from your wife and your husband. You're seeing the same thing from different angles. Stop disagreeing with each other and listen to each other because then you'll see a fuller picture instead of just a one-sided view of the project you're planning on. And God will actually give you a great release with a fuller vision. You're going to see beyond what you've got to do to the results. So stop disagreeing this husband and wife. And see each other's perspective. Put it together. Pray together in unity. You've got a huge destiny. And this project is the make or break point of the reason that God brought you together. Create a family. Eric, I have something to say to you. <laughs> You're a quiet sort of guy. I, I, I've, just what I've seen <clears throat> a couple of times I've been with you. But you're a very clever man. And God is going to be showing you things in your education, in your studies, going to awaken talents within you that you didn't know were there. Maybe your family recognized it. Maybe they'd be encouraging you. You think, I think they've got it wrong. No, they haven't. You've got talents and abilities hidden there that your education in preparing for your vacation in the work field is going to awaken. And your destiny rests with those things. Your talents and abilities and skills that will be brought into your vocation, the work that you choose that God guides you into. You are going to be great in your field. You're going to impact nations. I mean, we look at the Jewish people, and we look at all the creations they've come up with. Oh, thank you. You know there's a reward for this. Eric, it's like the Jewish people. They create so much because God has invested so much in that nation. I'm not talking about any preferences at the moment. It's just startling from their history. There's so many Nobel Prizes, so many creations that have blessed the world. Now, that's the sort of thing I'm talking about. In your vocation, you're going to enter a ministry as a born-again, spirit-filled man that's going to take you to platforms with, in high places with a lot of unsaved, high-profile people whom you'll respect. But remember, you've always got more than them because you've got Jesus. And you're always in a process of learning. You'll hone your skills that will take you higher and higher 
Of course, it's going to generate a lot of money too. But don't let money be the objective. Money is a tool to advance the kingdom of God. So that ultimately, when you enter heaven, your skills, your position, <clears throat> your personal ability with people, and your money is going to make sure that millions more people are in heaven and a lot less people are going to hell. Now stay with that. Stay with that. Even though you get into some tough arenas where you think, I know what I'm doing, but man, the circumstances are Stay with it. Because you're going to break through. This is where God's leading you into greatness. Well, thank you. <laughs> you know, that's the important thing. I'm just loving the Lord, worshiping, extra special with that worship this morning. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit just invades my thoughts. Now, I'm telling you this because I want you to learn that the Holy Spirit superimposes his thoughts over yours. That's how the gifts operate. And some people, like my wife for many years, thought this is too ordinary. This can't be God. It must be me imagining it. Well, what do you want God to do to get your attention? Hit you with a bolt of lightning? Well, then you'll be galvanized and dead. But that'll be useless. But the Holy Spirit does it so gently, subtly. Um, he imposes his thoughts over yours, and you get them in your mind, and he won't show you everything. He'll show you an immediate course of action, because if he shows you everything and you don't do it, well, what good is that going to do? And it's a step of faith. Like, okay, I'll step out of my comfort zone, and I'll start saying those things with as much as God has given. And as you say what God has put in your thoughts, he adds more, and he adds more, and he adds more. And I'll demonstrate that in a moment. But <clears throat> um, don't be amazed when you're perhaps sitting with someone or next to someone in a restaurant. Remember, we sat at Starbucks last year, and uh, we were talking about things, and a couple of ladies sitting around us happened to be listening to our conversations. One of them was born again, one of them wasn't. The other one ended up getting saved. And there were a couple of people down the, 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 the window, at the little counter at the window, who turned around and listened to us. We were talking about spiritual things that ended up prophetically for some of those people. So the Holy Spirit was injecting into our conversation. We were enjoying the interaction, Pastor Bob and I, but the, um, it was prophetic to those people who were listening. I mean, the Holy Spirit loves to do things like that in the marketplace of life. And you think, very unholy place like Starbucks. I think Starbucks is a holy place, <clears throat> but beside the point. Anywhere where the Holy Spirit is with you is a place of evangelism. Now... <clears throat> The Holy Spirit dropped those things into my thoughts. Normally, with my memory as it is, I write stuff down. I didn't have a piece of paper, so I just put it in the note pro profile in my telephone. Thank God for telephones. But um, look, just let the Lord use you like that. Because that's the theme this morning. Reaching the lost with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There are a lot of people who tend to think that the... <coughs> the uh, sorry operating a remote control without putting the aerial in. That's rather dumb. The sound is working. <laughs> Reaching people with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, this can be, don't ever treat it as ordinary, but a daily occurrence to you. And there'll be times you just get a fleeting thought and think, I wonder if that's the Holy Spirit or not. It probably is, so take a step of faith anyway and say it. Because as you're growing and maturing in this, the Holy Spirit expects things of you that he doesn't have to teach you when you were a baby Christian. And you, step, you find he's actually waiting in the situation for you to get there. Now, let's have a look at the Scripture. <clears throat> now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Differences of ministries where those gifts operate the same Lord, diversities of activities, whatever activities we're in day by day, but it's the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one of us for the profit of everyone else. <laughs> when I, when the Lord sort of finished with me in ministering the gifts of the Holy Spirit to people, I'm exhausted. That doesn't matter, because we're all servants in this context. But the others are profiting. We profit, obviously, by a little pat on the shoulder from the Lord, but others are profiting because we functioned in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, the old 
view of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, thinking back into Pentecost when I got saved 55 years ago, um, was that the gifts have to be kept within there for the edification of the church. They must stay within the church. You're trying to put the Holy Spirit into a box, the church box, so to speak. You must stay here, Holy Spirit. Well, that's audacity. This is the one who fills the universe. This is the master evangelist, the one who convicts people of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. <laughs> and we're trying to keep him in the box. Folks, it's not him working with us. We're working with him. And he's in the situation. We leave the person we've been ministering to, but he stays there. And he wrestles with them internally and turns them inside out and right side up. And we come back and the person's changed. And we had very little to do with it. We were just the visual aid, the catalyst. <clears throat> now, manifestation of the Spirit. It's a multiple manifestation, not just tongues. For one is given, to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith. That's the Holy Spirit's faith, the faith of the Spirit, where you're in a situation like when you could preempt that God might use you at a funeral to, funeral to raise the dead back to life. <laughs> People get petrified when they think of that. Should I? Shouldn't I? You'll know. When this unction that happens to me, this unction rises up inside. The first time that happened, I thought I had indigestion. But I didn't eat anything. I just ate the Church of England minister's wife's terrible spinach. That could have done it. But looking back, it was the gift of faith starting to operate within me that cleared my thought of all apprehension. And I said and did things that raised a little girl back from the dead. Come to that in a moment. <clears throat> To another, gifts of healings. Notice plural. By the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. That's a creative miracle. Like a person lost a finger. You pray over a bandaged hand, and a new finger starts to grow over a period of time. I've seen that happen. Creative miracle. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. And that is the discerning of activity in the spirit realm. Angelic activity, demonic activity. It's not... Somebody getting bitter and twisted about a colleague of yours and say, God shows me that you have a diverse of personal spirit. You're contrary to God's will. It's not. That's judging someone. That's not biblical. It's assessing with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, demonic activity. Like many people I've witnessed to on airplanes, I said, I, I know you're right, but I just can't do that. There's something holding me back. Now, they don't know. That's demonic activity. Could have been something the family was involved in, came upon the person as a child that has hindered them from believing in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And I say to them, well, look, I'm going to pray quietly for you. I'm not going to shout. because you don't have to shout. God's not deaf. And just uh, say to the person, I take the authority over that force holding you back. I rebuke it, and I break its power and set you free in Jesus' name. And I just sit back and pause. The person says, that barrier's gone. I'm ready to receive Jesus. And there was nothing violent about that. Take it easy on those things. Um, to another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Now, <clears throat> I don't know how far back you got saved. But if you got saved recently, you're probably in the clear. <clears throat> back 55, 60 years ago, there was an old Pentecostal view that I believe came to South Africa from the United States probably doesn't exist anymore, that if you were really growing in the Lord, the Holy Spirit would give you one gift. And if you were extra holy, you'd get two gifts. And if you became God's right-hand man or woman, <laughs> you could have three gifts. You know, all that bread was an awful spirit of arrogance. Let me put it simply. You and I have the Holy Spirit, right? Oh, I'm glad you all nodded. You must have been teacher's pet at school. <clears throat> we have the Holy Spirit. Better still, he has us. He has the gifts. These are his gifts. He's in us. All those gifts are inherent in us. And he's the one who does the distributing through us. We are the distributors. We are the conveyance. He's the owner of the gifts. And the people in need are the beneficiaries, the ones who receive the gifts. So, the same Spirit works all these things in us, distributing through us to others as He wills. <laughs> I'm so comfortable with that. You and I are the carrier of all the gifts. Now, why is it that only certain gifts tend to operate through us? 
because of our capacity. I can give you one example there. Although I grew up in the African culture, the Zulu culture, in southern Africa, and I speak the Zulu language, I was not born in, and brought up in that culture, which is animism, witchcraft, and such like. They know the power, the adverse power, of the evil spiritual realm. But when they come to Christ, they know the awesome power of God triumphs over that. But they're already familiar with the spirit realm. You and I, who are born in secular society, don't have that understanding. We learn it as we minister to those people. That's what I had to do. Now, those people operate in that gift of discerning of spirits almost naturally, recognizing demonic forces, knowing that the power of the Holy Spirit dominates over that. So, uh, amongst the African cultures, spirit-filled believers operate very easy with the gift of discerning of spirits. You might be uh, familiar with certain characteristics you have where the other gifts operate easily. With me, it's some of the gifts. Others I've already got to focus on. I'm not going to major on that. Because the Holy Spirit just loves to use us in situations where we're not familiar. Come on, learn, grow in this, and operate this gift to that person. <clears throat> All right, just very briefly. Tongues, interpretation, and prophecy. We call those the inspirational gifts. Actually, 1 Corinthians 14, I think it's verse 22, says that tongues operating in church is a sign to the non-believer. I'll give you a classic example. <clears throat> Many I could think of, but um, this would have been about 35 years ago in South Africa. Sunday morning service. <clears throat> I wasn't ministering that morning. <clears throat> the pastor, who was a friend of mine, was conducting the communion part of the service. Um, in walked four dignitaries. They were very well-dressed. The rest of us were dressed like slobs. And uh, they marched to the front of the church. I knew they weren't regular Pentecostals because they didn't sit at the back. They sat at the front. They walked right down and dressed extremely well. And they looked like foreigners. Actually, they were French people. They came and sat right in front of the pastor because there was space in the front row. And with that, a friend of mine, Shirley Smith, stood up and she spoke, in a, a, gave out a message in tongues with an, oh, it was brilliant. It sounded like French. Now, I don't speak French. I can speak a couple of phrases of greeting. But this was perfect, rounded French. And as she finished off, a gentleman on the other side stood up and gave a phenomenal pointed interpretation. Oh, wow. That's detail. Well, there was agitation amongst those people in the front row. And the man, he had slick gray hair. He had a dark blue jacket on, a striped shirt, immaculately dressed. He walked straight up and he took the microphone out of the pastor's hand. And I thought, well, he's used to getting his own way. And he turned to Shirley and he said, where did you learn to speak ancient French? He said, we speak slang French today. But I am a professor of ancient languages in Paris. Where did you learn to speak ancient? She said, I don't. I can't even speak normal French. And the man was surprised. He pointed out the fellow on the other side. He said, where did you learn to speak ancient French? Because that was an exact translation of what she said. Now, a message, an interpretation, not normally an exact translation. It's like a summary or the gist of what it is. <clears throat> but... Um, the man just shook his head. He said, I don't speak ancient French. I got received that from the Lord and spoke it out. He turned to the pastor and he said, what these two people have done have just given me a six, the answers to a 600-year-old problem that has pervaded my family for centuries. You've given me the solution today. He said, sir, I am not a believer in Jesus Christ, but obviously he is here and I want to know Jesus, and I think my colleagues do. And the pastor had to lead them to the Christ, lead them to Christ immediately. That I mean, that was a remarkable uh, arresting of attention that met people's needs. It was tongues and interpretation, something we're familiar with. It got the unsaved attention, and I saw a classic application of the scripture there: prophecy, speaking forth a message of challenge, warning, or encouragement to people, and you do that with with humility. <clears throat> um, on airplanes, <coughs> I have a captive audience. My wife says, it's nerve-wracking flying with you because I never know what you're going to do next. And I find long 14-hour, 12-hour flights very boring. Come on, Lord, got to be some spiritual activity here. And uh, <coughs> I was sitting next to a man flying Brisbane to Melbourne, two-and-a-half to three-hour flight, <coughs> and 
Um, he didn't want to be disturbed. He's, I just call him Robert. His name was Robert. And he was pounding his laptop computer. And uh, he didn't want to talk to anybody. But when the meal came, I noticed he knocked back two little bottles of wine he just drunk straight out of the bottle. And he was getting very relaxed and a little soft and soggy. You know what happens to some people like that. I'm not recommending this. <clears throat> but he did it. And I thought, well, I can talk to him now. And I put my head back and I said, Lord, give me the starting point of this. And the Lord put into my thoughts, he's doing it tough. So I said to him, excuse me, sir. It looks like you're having a very tough time at the moment. And he thought that I referred to business. And he began to talk about some business problems. I tended to shut myself off from that because the Holy Spirit was giving me more. The moment I said that, the Holy Spirit gave me more. He's having problems in his marriage. He suspects his wife's having an affair with her tennis coach. But he's having an affair with his secretary. <laughs> what do I, what do, I do with that? <laughs> so I told him, I said, no, sir, I'm talking about your marriage, not your business. You're desperately worried that your wife's having an affair with her good-looking tennis coach. And he looked at me. And I said, but you're having an affair with your secretary. And as I said that, the word Phyllis dropped into my head. And I said, does the name Phyllis mean anything to you? And he went, absolutely what? He said, how do you know that? I said, I didn't. God does, and he's going to get you. <laughs> and I, I thought, why did I say But boy, I had his attention. Within minutes, he was saying, did God show you this? I said, yes. In spite of all the wrong you're doing, God loves you. He doesn't want your family broken up. He doesn't want your marriage dissolved. He's shown just a little bit of this stuff to a stranger because he wants you to come to him, believe in Jesus Christ, and be a channel of healing to your family. Within minutes, I was leading him to Jesus. <laughs> Do you know? There were other things that happened. I don't have time to tell you, and it's rather personal. But God used that man's testimony over the next few years through the full gospel businessmen that brought hundreds of men to Christ. Wow. <laughs> and I thought, well, you know, I loosened my seatbelt, and I thought, well, at least I can run down the aisle and ask the staff to protect me if he chases me. <clears throat> but with every operation of gift of the Holy Spirit, you've got to take that little step of faith. Take a bit of a chance. And look, there's some things I've said hastily. I've said the right things, just a little too belligerently, and I've apologized. And the person's accepted that, but he said, your message was right. And that set the good platform. So <clears throat> uh, you have the word of knowledge that is past events, like I told him. Actually, his wife wasn't having an affair with her tennis coach. He wrote to me later. She'd got saved. And she was in a woman's prayer group praying for Robert to get saved. And I was just part of the links in that chain that brought him to Christ. Word of knowledge, word of wisdom on future issues. I prophesied to Robert about his son who was being expelled from a university campus because he was using his father's money to buy and sell drugs on the university campus. I prophesied into that and gave him a word of knowledge that his son was going to turn out a great salesman for Jesus, a soul winner. And that happened. So... And then, of course, you have the power gifts. Gift of faith. That's the faith of the Holy Spirit. Gifts of healings. Now, how many times has a person told you that they're desperately ill and they reach out, you're thinking, I, I just need to reach out and, and, and pray for this person, but you hesitate. They're waiting for you to do that. Just say, look, may I pray for you? But what if God doesn't heal them? That's his prerogative. You're not the healer, he is. You're the conveyance. Just take the person's hand. I do this. I, sw I swim competitively still. I swim in the World Masters Games. I haven't won any medals. I almost got a bronze medal in the 200 meters in Italy in 2013. But a Canadian guy beat me by half a second in another heat. But my medals are the people I lead to Jesus at those games. And in the changing rooms afterwards, I'm sitting with all the, uh, the competitors. And there was this big hairy-chested man who'd just beaten me in another heat. And uh, his name was Pedro. I think he was an immigrant in Canada. And um, uh, <clears throat> I asked him about his faith because <coughs> he had a crucifix around his neck. And he said, no, my faith is 
dwindled away whatever faith he had. He said, we've just had illness in our home, and I'm very ill at the moment. And I said to him, Pedro, would you like me to pray for you? He looked around. I said, nobody's interested. They're all talking their own conversations. Reached out and took his hand, and tears began to run down his face into his beard. And I said, Lord, touch this man. Heal him. You love him. And he began to breathe deeply. He said, something's happening. Something's happening. He said, you know, I want to, didn't tell you I had heart problems. I said, you ran a great risk growing in that 200-meter that race, which is very strenuous. He said, but I'm just feeling such an ease. And I said, well, if he's doing this for your body, what can he do for your soul? Don't you want to do a U-turn and come back? Will he accept me back? I said, look at that crucifixion. I lifted it out of the hair on his chest. I said, look, his arms are open, welcoming you back. I said, let me pray with you and help you to do a U-turn and come to Jesus. And there was a tap on my shoulder. I turned around. Two guys sitting behind me were listening. They said, can we pray with you as well? <laughs> That's why I go through months of training to not be ashamed of being in those races just to get those medals. Oh, I love it. Next one's coming up soon. But working of miracles. Now, let me just run through a couple of pictures with you in the next couple of minutes. I am a chaplain and counselor at the Olympics and the Paralympics, the Rugby World Cup. Commonwealth Games, and other sporting events, <clears throat> simply because it fits in with my, my capabilities, and I've been accepted and cleared by Interpol to do all these things. So I get involved with the Olympics. And at the Sydney Olympics and Paralympics, my first games, um, I met this man who was captain of the South African team. He was unsaved. His wife was a sweet born-again woman, and he hated what she was involved in. And yet... He introduced me to 21 of the 85 members of the Paralympic team and insisted that I bring them to Christ. Wow. So I did. And then he got injured just before he contended for the medals and his own world record in the shot put. And he tore a big muscle in his groin that put him right out of the running. And his coach was going to say to the sponsors, Nike, Look, he can't perform because he said, if you perform and fail, they're gonna, you'll lose your contract. And there goes your pension. So he said, well, just tell them you were injured. Michael was furious. He didn't want me to pray for him, but I prayed for him anyway, that God would touch and heal him. The next morning, he woke up with no pain. He called the doctor, the manager, the physiotherapist, and they dug their hands around his groin. They said, that muscle was torn last night. It's impossible. It's got knitted together overnight. That injury takes three weeks to heal with a lot of care. Later that afternoon, Michael contended for that medal. He got the gold medal. He broke his own world record. And he called me later and he said, Davey, I want you to meet with me. And he, he walked into the dining hall where we met with the gold medal in his hands. And he said, I want you to know what happened in the changing room before the medal ceremony. I said to God, you know, you've been so kind to me and I've been so angry with you and bitter against my wife. God, if you'll take me and forgive me, I give my life to you now and I want to serve you. He says, Davey, was that good enough for God? I said, you bet. Now, since that time in 2000, Michael has led thousands of people to Jesus from his business in Port Elizabeth in South Africa and in the sporting realm. At the London Olympics, this was part of the entourage that he'd led to the Lord. At the Athens Olympics, I met this young lady by default. Well, she's younger than me, but she's the old lady of field events in sport. I'm not going to tell you her name. But she was with a friend, and I was running through the shopping precinct behind us there to go to the travel agent to find some accommodation because I had terrible accommodation arrangements at the Olympics. And a discus came out of nowhere and hit me on the back of the leg. And I picked this up. My leg was hurting. I've seen a discus hit someone in the head and just cut their, cut their skin open. It's a vicious uh, instrument, that. And I picked this up, and I, oh, my leg was sore. And this big woman said, give me my discus. I said, no, not till I find out who throw it. I said, you didn't throw it, because I know you're a good discus thrower. She said, that idiot grabbed my discus, and it slipped out the back of his hand. And as she said that, the Lord gave me a word of knowledge concerning her past, where she'd been abused, and somebody had hurt her, and that person was still abusing the next generation in that family. And I told her to her, and she burst into tears. She said, are you a minister? I said, yes, I am. And I thought, well, that's blown it. Because some of those guys are very, very anti-God. She said, then I can trust you. 
And she told me this horrendous story. Well, I led her to Jesus and then said, this is what you've got to do about this situation. That man's got to go to prison. She had to take courage and deal with a 40-year-old family problem. She did. And the family got closure on the issue. I tell you, that's the first time throwing a discus or being hit by a discus that a gift of the Holy Spirit has been ignited. At the Rugby World Cup in 2003 in Australia, I was assigned to the Samoan team and the South African team. I was one of the chaplains. <clears throat> I met the Samoan teams at one of the airports. They had just been beaten by the England team. And their quick kicker, he was the uh, field goal kicker, um, was uh, beaten up. His legs were kicked to pieces by two of the England forwards so that he couldn't be effective in his kicking ability and beat them again. His name was Earl. And I said to him, we were all lined up to getting on the airplane, and I said to him, Earl, do you believe if I prayed for you, God might hear my prayer and heal your legs? And he said, so with respect, I'm really not into that stuff. And I said to him, I don't care about that. Because I'm your chaplain, suck it up, I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> well, we're about the same height as you can see, but he was far stronger. and He could have just bumped me over. Had my arm around him, and in that situation, I, kept, I would keep my eyes open when I pray for people. I, I, I don't want to miss anything. And I said, Lord, you heard what the cynic said. I ask you to show him that you care for him and love him and heal him. Tears were running down his cheeks from his sunglasses, and I thought, I've got you. Well, we still couldn't get on the plane because the Samoan team couldn't find lockers to stow their, their luggage. But I led him to Jesus. When I came to speak to that team a few days later, Earl had done all the talking because the doctor stood up and said, Sir, were you the man who prayed for him? I've never seen legs injured like that heal so quickly. He's going to be fit enough to pray, play against South Africa on Saturday. And I thought, well, what have I done? What have I done? <laughs> I didn't want to see South Africa beaten. But he, he had talked, and I led 17 of those big, hairy rugby players to Jesus in that meeting. Now, notwithstanding, South Africa did win that match. But I was invited on the Friday evening before the game to come and speak to three of the team who'd been brutalized by apartheid. I thought that was gone, apartheid on that team where some white guys refused to share rooms with the black guys. And when I met this man, Lawrence Savaka, the hooker of the team, the man in the center of the scrum that gets the ball back to the back line, um, I greeted him and I said, Sabona Baba, Gunjani Wena, Malibongwe Gamanin Kors. That's a courteous greeting, as if you were greeting a chief. Good day, sir. How are you? God bless you. And thanks be to God that we've met. And he burst into tears in the foyer of the Hilton Hotel. He was crying on my shoulder and all the international guests. What's going on here? Well, I took him around but behind some shrubs and led him to Jesus. It was so easy. And, um, well, I'll skip through to the game where at the end of the match, both captains got together, both born-again, spirit-filled men, and they said to each other, we just found out before this game that 90% of the men on the field in this game are born-again Christians. Let's make a statement to the world of what God can do. They said, in four years' time, this result will be history. They knelt down, Samoan, South African, Samoan, South African, they gave God thanks. And I was actually at the game, I got a special ticket to go to one of the corporate boxes and watch this. The commentators were saying, oh, folk, excuse them, they're just pausing for a moment of reflection. Rubbish. They were giving their Heavenly Father thanks. Well, somebody wrote to me from England the next day, said, were you responsible for that? I said, mildly. Mildly. But I got an invitation to come to the Qantas Executive Lounge on the Monday morning when they flew to Sydney for the final matches, which they lost. And as I walked in, the man on the right-hand side, the tall colored man, Ashwin Willemser from Cape Town, as I shook his hand, and I'm not prone to seeing visions, but as I looked into this man's eyes, I saw a little boy on a platform with hundreds of black kids on a field with a microphone, he had dirty sand shoes on, uh, tattered black shorts, a dirty T-shirt, and he was giving an altar call. And he started weeping. He said, you saw that? I said, I saw it in Technicolor. Uh, he said, when I was a kid, my parents were pastors. 
We used to have a Sunday afternoon Sunday school outreach for all the poverty-stricken kids. And he said, it was my privilege to give an altar call. And Lawrence Savaka, the man I'd led to the Lord previous Friday, the one I'd addressed in Zulu, came up. And he said, well, in very rough language, you bleeding idiot. God's kept the door open for you. Get back into your portfolio. And we got into a little three-man rugby scrum and led this man to the Lord. I love it when the gifts of the Holy Spirit work like that. At the London Olympics, excuse me, Pastor Bob, just taking a little bit of extra time. At the London Olympics, on opening day, I had to walk around and just familiarize myself with the Olympic Village, know where all the nations were, were housed. And I was walking around with this elderly gentleman, Kenneth. He was like a warden in an Episcopalian church in London. <clears throat> Very godly man. And I noticed him stumbling. And I said, Kenneth, what's wrong with you? He said, a hip operation gone wrong. And I said, you got six weeks in that pain. And I said to him, are you a man of prayer? He said, I try. He wasn't born again, but very God-fearing. I said, may I pray for you? He said, I'd love it. I put my hand on his chest. And I said, Lord, here's a man who wants to be your servant to athletes here. He's not going to make it in this condition. Please heal him. Well, we walked around another half an hour, and I watched him getting easier and easier and easier. He says, I'm feeling good. Four weeks into the Olympics, I'm having lunch with a police inspector, because the police came in to do their part in the security, in the big dining hall. Inspector Dennis was his name, one of the top men. And Kenneth walked past carrying a tray of eats and coffee and everything. And I said, Kenneth, how is your hip? He said, fine, Davy, fine. And the coffee was bouncing everywhere. And the police inspector said, he's ecstatic. What's happened? I said, I'm glad you asked that. <laughs> and I told the police inspector about all the opportunities. Well, this was hilarious. This was the Australian basketball champions. Now, I'm not all that little. <clears throat> but I had a prophetic word for both of these guys about their lives, their future. And the big man in the yellow jacket, he was from Croatia. And I had an express prophetic word for him, and he began to weep. He knelt down next to me to be on the same level, and I led him to Jesus. And I mean, in the Olympic precinct of all places, why not? Needy people who need Jesus. Now, I'm going to finish with this little movie. <clears throat> this is a, probably one of the two of the toughest rugby league teams in Australia. They were the Brisbane Broncos, who were the best in the world. The English, England people don't like to hear that. Um, and they were playing against the Queensland Cowboys from North Queensland. Needle match, their enemies. At the halftime break, the score was pretty even. Everyone goes for 20 minutes to buy refreshments. A father took his four-year-old son to the cafe to buy some eats. When he turned around, the kid was gone. They held up the restart of the game looking for that little boy, but he'd gone. Everyone was thinking child abduction. Alerts were put out to the Har Sydney Harbour, the, um, the um, uh, airports, but the game had to restart. Now, what the little guy had done, just out of curiosity, he walked away from his dad, walked down through the tunnels into the changing rooms and came out onto the field as the second half began. Watch what happened. Her four-year-old son, she turned and didn't know where he was. Look where he ended up. There's the four-year-old son, see? In the background oh. there, right? So there's the New South Wales player. So what do they do? They give him the ball. She didn't know where he'd gone. She turned. David Peachy gives him the ball. Well. And away he goes. And the Petro Sivan to see that can't get to him. And he's off for the prize. Sean Berrigan's there as well. <laughs> this That's is magical great. stuff. <laughs> are fantastic that the ex-players put on. Look at the peach. David Peach has got the long hair. He's there backing up. Sean Berrigan is there as well. Robbie O'Davis. It's absolutely... Here's Robbie O. He's getting tired, the young fella. So Robbie picks him up, takes him over the line, and that is a try. So well done. And then he kicks the goal over Robbie O'Davis's head. So well done. So is that we all need help. That little kid will never forget that. 
no matter what he faces in life as a challenge, as he's learning and growing, he'll remember that there are more experienced people than him around to help him. And I showed that to you, by no means am I the most experienced. I am a learner. I still listen to others. I learn. I thought, that's a wonderful strategy. I can use that. So what I'm doing is passing what I have to you. And if you think you're a rookie, a newcomer, you're not. I don't treat you like that. You're respectable people. You're sensible people. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. And you have a dimension of ministry that you haven't yet tapped into. You've seen it happen, but it's going to happen through you. And I tell you, you're going to be the most shocked. Like when I prayed over that little dead girl in the hospital who'd lost half her skull in a motor accident. The death certificate had been signed, and the uh, life support system had all been connected. They didn't disturb the rest of the sleeping patients by taking the body to the mortuary that night. I arrived at 11 p.m., and she died late afternoon. The night sister thought I was just going to pray the last rites over the child. She said, you Pentecostal? I said, yes. She said, don't shout because you'll wake up the other patients. I said, I don't shout because God's not deaf. All I did was pray over this little girl and said, God, I'm just offering her to you. It's such a shame that this life has been cut short. This destiny is gone. And Philippians 1.6 popped into my head. It was like a little rhema word that I could use as a lever in my prayer. The good work God has begun, he will continue and perfect until the day of Christ. And I said, Lord, if you're doing something here on the basis of the trigger of this word, please do it. I give you the praise and the glory. Praised him for about two minutes quietly. Within five minutes, I was out. Only two days later, when I got to the parents, I wanted to visit them. I heard the story. A little nurse came to tie up the kid's body to send it to the mortuary, and she was wrapping up the kid's feet with bandages, and the little girl sat up in bed and said, what are you doing? Well, the nurse fled and called two doctors, one of whom had signed the death certificate the night before. Now, the parents are telling me this. The doctor said to her, child, you should be dead. And the little girl said, I don't know about that, sir, but I am hungry. They gave her some scrambled egg while they sanitized the wound on her head and formed a metal plate to protect it. By mid-morning, she was so well, they decided to re-x-ray her. The next day, I saw, the doctor showed me the two x-ray for me. He said, can you see the different color? I said, no. Idiot. He said, that's brand new brain tissue. And somebody had written across that folder, unexplained, question mark. My next week of meetings in that city needed no advertising. They were jam-packed to overflowing. Nobody wanted to hear my preaching. They just said, tell us the story, tell us the story, tell us the story. So I'm not a miracle worker, I'm a storyteller. That's what God showed me. I said to God, you know, I was driving home 10 days later, the hundreds of kilometers back to Johannesburg. And I said, God, you could have done that all yourself. He said, I know, but I needed a witness to tell the story. That keeps your head to normal size. That little girl is a grandmother today. <laughs> and she's a full-on believer. And they've probably forgotten my name. That's okay. But they've never forgotten Jesus. I want to see you doing this stuff. And if you make mistakes, it'll all be a learning process. Nobody's going to beat you up, but not, certainly not God. And I want to hear that good news. And hoping that the seeds I've sown are going to bring a great harvest and a great increase in God's kingdom. God bless you. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Dave. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. And just want to give you an opportunity to surrender to Jesus this morning. Maybe you haven't surrendered your life. You need to make a decision right now. You've heard the word. You've heard the gospel. You know that Jesus is in love with you. He's paid the price. He spilled his blood for you. All you have to do is believe and accept that forgiveness, that price that was paid. Make him Lord of your life. Put him in charge of your life. Look what it's done, you being in charge. Put him in charge. And maybe, maybe you're a believer, but today been stirred and and you need to get right with God. You realize you've been lukewarm and you need to come back. 
no one looking around. That's you. Just lift your hand. Say, that's me. And we're going to pray together. Say, I need Jesus. Yes, see that. See those hands? Yes, see that hand. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Anyone else? Let's pray together. Say, dear God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for forgiveness of sins. I receive forgiveness. I receive salvation today. And I give my life to Jesus. Lord Jesus, take charge. Take all of me. And I thank you for loving me. And I love you. And I'll serve you. Empower me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me to live this life. Bringing glory to you. In Jesus' mighty name. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277. You are Lord, I'm a sinner.